Good morning. Welcome in the room. Welcome online. So happy that you're here. My name is Ross, one of the pastors here at Hope Church, and super excited to continue in our series on Fruit of the Spirit. And let me pause and say thank you so much for the way you give. Um, you just uh, witnessed secondhand from our team that went to Panama and gave many gifts, but one of them even, uh, and a few of them even, uh, the very tools in their hands. You probably saw Sam up on the rooftop there being awesome and, and strong. And that very tool I just reflected, because of your generosity, we were able to buy new tools and take them and then leave them there uh, for, for the work they need to complete and continue. And the church in Panama is so unique because they're a church that um, are called and being equipped and directed by God on the daily to, to move and share the gospel beyond um, <clears throat> all their area. And it's just been so uniquely uh, encouraging to see just, you know, th those testimonies of our teams going. And I, I would highly encourage you to go if the Lord would call you to. But thank you for your giving as the Lord's called you to do that as well. Uh, before we go any further this morning, I want to start in 1 Peter 5.8. This last week was a little odd, if I do say so myself. Uh, we started half the week in this, like, smoky haze all throughout Dubuque area. And uh, if you don't remember that, I guess good, because uh, it's pretty forgetful. Um, but if you do remember that, you can go back with me. Because as I woke up in one of these particular days to the same similar smoke haze, um, I, you know, could sometimes get like a little scratch in my throat or, or feel something and tried to stay in as much as I could. But the times that I, I couldn't, I would be out and about. And um, I recognized something in my, in my personal devotional that I wanted to read to you uh, in 1 Peter uh, 5.8. It says this, be alert and sober, of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And, and the reason that stuck with me that day when we were in the, the haze of the smoke um, was this reality that we were in an ever-present danger that we were recognizing on our every day, that we were alarmed of, that we were, we were told um, you know, advice on how to handle. And that is so similar to, to our everyday Christian life, uh, to our everyday walk with God, that that. We need to be mindful, alert, that, that Satan's on this prowl. But we get this passage that says he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and yet knows by his knowledge that we as followers of Jesus who belong to him are undevourable. He can stifle us. He can, he can set us you know, in different directions by our sinful ways. But, but to the very end, we're with Christ for eternity. Nothing can separate us from that. And so if you think of a lion in its hunt, don't roar on their approach. Otherwise, they scare away their prey. And so Satan's limited to the ability just to scare and roar and stifle and maybe even at sometimes produce disobedience in us by pleasures we so may seek on our own or uh, be enticed by in the world we live in. But yet the devouring, not so much so. We're called to resist, stand firm in our faith, walk obediently day to day. And... Um, through, through that whole process of trying to be obedient to the alerts and the smoke haze, it reminded me solely of that alertness I must find in my walk with Jesus. And so uniquely, we're in this series called Fruit of the Spirit, which shows us characteristics of God in which we may walk in obedience in, not out of the do more, try more, but out of the pure surrender of our lifestyle, of our way to the very way of Jesus Christ. 
And as we continue this morning, you know it, you can say it with me in Galatians 5.22, starting there, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as we are called by Paul to walk according to the Spirit, that we may not gratify the desires of our flesh, we're called to really holy, high standard to walk within. So this morning, as you may uh, be with us so far, if you're just joining us here, totally fine. It's a great on-ramp. We're in gentleness. So we're two weeks out, including this week. Next week, we'll close our series together with Pastor Marty. But as we continue looking at gentleness, I wanted to start in this passage and and read through it. Uh, And just in the reminding, God's after your, your salvation, your eternity with him, but also your transformation today. So keep that in mind uh, ever so presently that in gentleness, in the way of stepping in it, he wants to transform you to be gentle to others around you. So we're going to be in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Might seem a little odd that we start there right now, but we'll get to the point of why I pulled it up to begin with, of finding our root in something very specific here in the way of gentleness. So Philippians 2, 1 through 11, I'm going to read it out loud. You can read along with me. It's in a Bible below your seat or on your phone, whatever you brought with you today. Look to Philippians. It's a little long, so stick with me. I'll pray, and then we'll begin to discuss gentleness together. Uh, So let's start here in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, God, that we're able to open your word, that we, um, uh, we're in freedom to do it so much so in this space together. Um, God, would you direct us and guide us by your Holy Spirit and show us in which the way you call us to gentleness. Um, But through Philippians, we recognize a root in which we must live by to achieve well for your spirit to work and flow through us, to gain it, to grow in it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would draw us closer to yourself and help us remember you in all things, think of you in all things, in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been in a crowded area? You might be in the next few, few days with, with 4th of July fireworks. And like, hey, let me say it. This is like my second year in Dubuque in the 4th of July. Fact check for my wife. I don't know, maybe. Um, third year, third 4th of July. Either way, we love our fireworks for sure. You know what I'm saying? Like we love our fireworks. We went to a fireworks show last night. 
that they love their fireworks. It was so awesome. That, like, I think we sat too close because the, the ash was like raining down on us, but it was like awesome. You're like, this is what it's, ah, the part of it. And so it's so cool. Um, so you may be in a, a scenario like this the next few days for fireworks or whatnot, but you're in a crowded area and you look across uh, the way and you see someone that you recognize, right? It's like, that's the person I know. So as you grow ever so close, you're like, man, the hair is looking good today. That's awesome. They're just as tall as ever, like normal. And then they turn around and they're not who you thought they were, right? But they were very, very similar. I get this so mixed up. My, my wife and her sister are so similar in this, like, in this way that if they're like walking away, I'm like, their hair looks just alike. They're almost just the same height. You're like, who is who? They look so similar, right? And, and oftentimes in this approach, we then feel shame and then we meet a new friend. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm sorry, right? I apologize for my existence, but I need to be kind, Midwestern kind, right? We've talked through all of that. And so in this scenario, you know, we've seen similarities, but yet they're not the exact person we're looking for. And the same is true with gentleness. See, gentleness is very close to patience. And it's not surprising that uh, Paul would use gentleness and patience in the same format as God's inspired him to recognize characteristics of our Heavenly Father in which we are to put on display through his spirit. And so in the way of gentleness being so close to patience, I figured we could recap for a minute on what we learned about patience, and I mentioned a little bit of it. If, if we think back to it, patience was this ability to face hardship without blowing up or getting angry, right? And we talked about how we needed to fix our focus and, and our patience with God, and then we talked about each other, if you remember that, and the big words that were stated there in the passage we looked at, do not, God, do not, do not grumble, Grumbling leads to gossip, right? There was this moment where we can lack patience with each other. And at the root of grumbling and gossip is the lack of patience for the people around you. And so we, we looked at the ways we could take a, a greater step. And my prayer is that you had grown in patience by the Holy Spirit since that week. But in this, we, we remember that Jesus has patience with us. That, that God is ever so patient with us. And the same is true with gentleness. So as patience is the ability to endure hardship without anger or blowing up, gentleness is to endure hardships without aggression. And we see the similarity, yet the vast difference in this aggression word. Because aggression can be showed in physical, but also verbal. And the way we talk to one another but also the way we treat physically one another. And, and let me tell you, before we get any deeper, that I've, I've been wrestling with this as I've had young kids and, and been trying to train them in the way they should go in both ways, how to be gently present with them. And so may we learn together in the way of gentleness this morning. The way the Spirit could shine brightly through us, um, not only with our kids and, and, and our families, but also our friendships and our workspaces and all of that. Um, but you might start to think already of where you need to apply greater gentleness. But let's go ahead and, and remember a misconception about gentleness. Because if we think of it, it can often be uh, defined as weak or passive. By no means it's that. To be truly gentle and, and to practice gentleness the way the Bible conveys to us requires actually great strength and self-control. Because what gentleness does is takes your power as a person and manages it and its outcome. 
right? And naturally, we're, we're these, there are these beings that, that want our own way, want to do things our way, and yet gentleness calls us to do them God's way through patience and what we're going to find in root today, humility. If biblical gentleness goes deeper than, than this without aggression, but must be rooted in humility. Point number one today is rooted in humility. And now we're gonna begin to walk through Philippians and begin to see where we're called to greater humility, which through that root of humility, we're able to practice patience. And you'll see where we're going as we get there. So what is humility though? What is humility? It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. C.S. Lewis would state it, and I felt that was a great way to say that. Uh, Self-forgetfulness is another way to think of true humility uh, in this approach to producing gentleness. Its opposite is to be self-absorbed, to be all about yourself. It's all about me. Throughout scripture, we see this pairing between patience, humility, and gentleness. Like in Colossians 3, where we, where we focused on kindness. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Or my favorite, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, and to preface this is the words of Jesus telling us his own heart when it comes to this. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So, so to be gentle, but paired with hum- humility and patience is, is super important, um, and, and, the, and the act of actually becoming gentle in and of itself, you find rest for your souls. So if we're, if we're to display true gentleness, let us recognize and start with humility, where we're called to that as its root. Philippians 2, let's go to Philippians 2, 1. We're gonna walk through the passage together and just observe greater humility as we're called and commanded through the words of Paul. And he says this in verse one, therefore, if any... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. So Paul opens in this, in this specific verse by these statements, these if-then statements. And oftentimes we can think of these if-then statements or like if statements, period, uh, of just like they're yet to decide. But that's not what Paul's explaining here. They can almost be better described as sense statements. He's talking to Philippi, the believers there, and they've already partaken in these things, uh, being united with Christ, finding comfort from his love, uh, common sharing in the spirit and tenderness and compassion by the very nature of God. And so these statements can be, since you have encouragement by being united, since you have comfort from his love, since you share in the spirit, in these absolutes, he's saying the ifs in complete rhetorical way, like not to be answered, but to be true about them. And then in verse two, he makes it completely like personal. So, so then he says in verse two, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. The beauty about Paul's desire is that it was the very desire of God's too for us. Because Paul's directing us to the unity that is the goal 
in our relationship with each other under the helm of Christ as the church. Unity together, being of like mind, like spirit, that, that we would actually be of one mind and the same love, all of these things in unity that we're called to. I love when we see this heart of, of Paul as he's on mission, but the heart of God through him as, as God's commissioned him to not only write, but also just minister to the people there, right? Make my joy complete. And we absolutely, God's joy would be ever, ever so complete if we were to find unity within our churches, within our body of believers, within those who would call on Christ as Lord, and, and the idea of unity is, is not far from us. You know, you think of just uh, the reality of sports. And so do we have any kids or students in the room? I know we have a few. You may be in a sports league or a summer sports league of some sort. Our daughter, Della, she's three. She just joined T-ball, which is so fun. She has no clue what T-ball is. And, and I just, I need to admit something that I'm sad to admit, but it's true. Because in the first service, I just recognized that the ball that, that the ball sits on an actual tee. I thought it was called something different. That is the tee of the ball. So, the, so I learned something new and just talking out loud in the first service of saying like, and then realizing I have no clue what tee ball is, explicitly different than baseball. Okay, the thing that the ball sits on is the tee. That makes sense. Like I'm thinking, I thought a golf tee was the only thing that the tee was, like for a golf ball. That is... So, so it was like worlds colliding and kind of funny, but I, I get it now. So, so she's in T-ball, and part of this process for teaching her T-ball, for walking her through this, through this, you know, idea. I don't know what you call it, idea T-ball. Sorry, T-ball coaches out there. But through this is teaching them character, kindness, all this kind of stuff, but also unity. You know, when they go through their practices, it's like, okay, everyone go get the, all the little uh, balls you hit. It's like unity, right? It's in this team environment that we see some of the greatest unity. So kids and teenagers, adults too, if you're on some sort of team, you know that it's great for you to come together, find your gifts, and you have this like, likeness and goal at the end, right? You want to score points. You want to win the game or a match. It probably wouldn't be a good team if there was no common goal in winning. You know, if everyone came around and said, hey, we can just lose, you know, it's like, it's uh, probably not the best team, right? And so, so winning is that unity, that, that goal piece that's driving the action. But also when we think about it, and as Paul begins to describe humility to us in the passages ahead, we know that in, a, in unity, in team environments, team sports, but in unity period, say even within the church, what immediately breaks it apart is the lack of humility. It's pride. It's being self-absorbed thing to have yourself immediately breaks apart unity why because if you get into a uh, sport team or even to a, a team at work and you're together you have this end goal in mind you each have different collective gifts but if one person says listen i'm better than all of you and i can get it done team no longer exists and most likely most likely as you know great coaches have said there's no i in team most likely the objective to be reached won't be reached as effectively, as greatly, as if everyone practiced humility to reach it together. The, this unity in our church can be so difficult because we can disagree on so many things, the way we live life, if, if, you, if, if you discipline your kids this way or that way. But, but, but think on the things Paul just mentioned 
and being of one mind, one spirit, that we're surrendered to our one Savior collectively together, how powerful it would be instead of looking to the differences in each other to finding the unity that we have in him and surrendering together and finding the direction for us all. And that's where Paul's getting and God is telling us in humility. Point number two, practiced in relationship. Here we begin to see Paul describe and define humility and this how-to practice. So then, to find greater unity together, verse three, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset of Christ. And so Paul just begins to drop in if you're finding greater unity, it must be without humility. So do nothing. So, so we, we got to take Paul's words for serious here because he doesn't start and say, do some things. Do a little bit of things out of selfish ambition, but like mostly not. He says, do nothing. He knows the detriment of, of being self-absorbed, of lacking humility in our everyday, and then calls us to practice it in relationship with each other. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And the reality, friends, is we're naturally, by our sinful way and flesh, motivated by ourselves. What we could get, what I could gain, and sadly live in a culture that cultivates that. And, and back to 1 Peter, this is totally aside, but just thinking on it, this is a, this is a quick way that Satan looks to devour us. We're undevourable if we're in Christ, but to devour pieces of us, to, to, to take us off the focus of the end goal and unity and, and, and set us aside to, to find us in disobedience is by the way of cultivating self-absorbed, selfish lifestyles that we then wrestle to look to serve others, right? Like above ourselves? Or do it, but, but it's about me. But I've got to do all I can to get that promotion, even if it means shaming, lying, stealing from someone else because it's all about me. You know it. I, I don't need to explain it any further to you. I think you see it with me. In vain conceit is this idea of being full of oneself's absorb, but rather in humility, value others above yourself. A, a large calling that honestly may take a lifetime to continue and develop looking to others before your own selfish desire. But each of you and in your interests of others in relationship with one another have the same mindset of Christ, Jesus. Not only looking to your, your own interests, but to others. And this idea of practice in relationship, because it requires in true humility to be practiced with others. I was stuck in this thought process and just praying and thinking of how quickly we are to think of things but may not act on them. And I think humility is one of those. I think serving others above ourselves can be one of those. We can look around and see in our situations, in our homes, in our workplaces, places where we can help someone else forego our own interests. We think on those things. And it's really good to think on that because then you need to apply to act on it. But, that, but that's where it stops. We may think on it but fail to apply and act of it in relationship and do anything with it. Similar can be true for the way, in a similar fashion, humble ourselves to service to one another, whether in the local church or in the community. 
we're, we're natural to say, well, my time's the most important. My, my stuff is more important than what God could ask of me in this season. And yet we think on such ways to serve with our gifts, yet fail to act and take step in them in a similar way of, of where our head hasn't reached the heart and our step and our walk. That can be so true with humility. And let me tell you and profess to you as the first guilty party that I, alongside you, together in unity, need to surrender in full humility our ways to Christ in all things. As Paul says, do nothing. And I must strive in all things, submit them humbly to God, viewing others higher than myself. As C.S. Lewis says, not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. Point number three, following the example of Jesus. And I love the way that Paul lays out this passage in an opening with um, this like-mindedness and unity, continuing through in relationship, how we may um, strive to, to be humble towards one another, to then find us to this place in following Jesus' greatest example. And let's read this together in verse 6. Uh, who, so, so I'm going to include verse 5. Actually, I was back and forth if that was, I was going to include that. Let me go back to verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by the very nature of a, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Remember that in every relationship, verse 5 says, think on the mindset that Christ is rewarding you. Romans, Romans 12, 2 says it really well. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And through this process of surrendering your way to Christ, you're being transformed by the renewal of your mind, which, practices, uh, which applies to your heart, which practices your steps in obedience. And this renewal of our mind transforms in humility towards one another. But you see these statements by Paul here that, that the very nature of Jesus being God in the flesh, so that we got the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, all collectively, three persons of one God. So Jesus humbly, like in a way, fully Jesus still. So when I say dethroned, not completely, but humbles himself to a place of a servant. Still God in the flesh. Walks a life, a sin, sinless life. To then, Paul's saying here, which I want to highlight in verse 8, found appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death. Was on a mission to die, but Paul doesn't just stop there. A death, even death on a cross. And why is that significant, that, that, that little statement? Why? Because crucifixion, in, a way, in its way, was a shameful death. Not even the Romans were permitted, the Roman citizens were permitted, permitted to die in this way. It was so shameful. Not only that, Jews at the time would then reflect on a crucifixion death to be cursed by God. And so Jesus took on death and humility and then put himself on the cross, the most shameful way of death, to die in the most humble way as God in the flesh 
for our salvation. And you reflect and realize through Jesus, God used a tool of shameful death for our salvation. How humble is a God to do that for our salvation, for our salvation in him, to be eternally with him. Greater love has none than that, like, like to put himself on a cross for me and you. And then we see God's response, exalting him to the highest place, the name above every name, every knee will bow and tongue confess, full submission to God be the glory. And yet we have a decision, a step in the spirit of God that we've so gained through salvation, grace by our faith. But also if you are not following Jesus right now, you have a decision, you have a step you can take with God to accept that salvation for your life. But yet in the long run, we all will come under full submission, whether you accept it here or not. But accepting it here or not will determine your eternal resting place with him or not. And in this mindset of of seeing Jesus as our prime example of humility, as he's humbled himself for our salvation, for our transformation, he was raised from the grave, conquering sin and death for me and you, we recognize why humility is the root of gentleness. Because if in order to be gentle, we can't view ourselves better than others around us. That humility must be our root to share genuine gentleness. Well, why? Because as we think of others more than ourselves, we're able to react in a gentle way rather than aggressive. Let me play it to you like this. For, for my daughter who's three, and I love her so dearly, If I am self-absorbed and want my own agenda and plan and want to rush her through the day for what I think I need to do, I then forego her thoughts, her needs, and aggressively take her through my calendar. And sometimes with, hey, hurry up, we gotta go, come on, come on, you know better, let's go. You know, and and all those words are okay if they're in a gentle way, but in my heart, they, they cannot be. Because I'm in my agenda, I'm in my calendar, I need her to form to it. But rather, if I practice humility in that relationship, think of her needs before my very own, I'm able to react in greater gentleness because I've humbled myself. It's the root of the very thing in which to be gentle and practice. Same as so for our marriages and spouses, for our coworkers and friends. The way to grow in gentleness, my friends, is to submit in humility before God and each other. Rather than asserting superiority, someone who's gentle wants to help. They see the help. They know the ever-present help because they're focused on the needs before them and others. This week we've chosen a pomegranate to display this, and it's no super spiritual reason But I encourage you to buy a pomegranate if you can uh, sometime within the next week or two. And the reason we we chose this is because if you think about it, opening a pomegranate, you got to be gentle. Those little things are popping out. You got to dig them out gently. Otherwise, you destroy them, right? And all that to say, like throughout our life, take the pomegranate aside. My hope for you is that as you pray and walk by the Spirit, which God's gifted you, and he's gifted you in a way of gentleness, by him as well, as he's been gentle with you. As we walk by this, would you replace the pomegranate with your family, with your friends, and recognize in your relationships how you can slow down and humble yourself to their needs and how you can gently provide and walk them through life alongside you. 
It's required in our call and walking by the Spirit. Yet we can better practice it each and every day. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for reminding us of your gentle and humble heart, Jesus, in Matthew 11, just as we, as we read the passage together. But God, thank you for being so gentle with us because you offer grace abounding even amidst our struggles, even when we choose. We don't choose you when we do. You're a gentle God with us who, who is not quick to anger, but, but very quick to give grace and quick to uh, comfort us, to give us peace. So God, may we recognize the gentleness you've shared with us and the way in which we can apply it with others. May we follow after your steps of humility for us, Father, through Jesus, and be humble amongst each other in greater unity together and chasing, following you. God, we love you and trust you for this, for this and thank you for this time and trust you for this week. Uh, it's in your name we pray, Jesus, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing our closing song? See you.
Hey, thanks for joining us. Next week, we're looking at self-control with Pastor Marty and then ending that series and jumping into Jonah in a few weeks. So would you bow your heads and pray for me? Pray with me, sorry, and for me. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you for time in your word and, and folk fully focus and attention on you. May by your Holy Spirit, may we walk uh, more consistently in gentleness by the act of the rooted humility within our life to practice it. Thank you for being such a humble um, God willing to sacrifice for us at the greatest extent for the salvation of our souls to be with you for eternity. God, thank you for giving this then a gift of gentleness through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's you. And we thank you and praise you for this morning. Be with us as we go this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, thanks for joining us online. Have a great week. See you next week.